Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Good morning, Peavine. It is so good to be back with you. Uh, it's always great, an honor, and a pleasure to come here. Uh, I had a bit of a different experience this time, though. Um, I, I knew I was on the right road because, man, I've never passed so many Peavine signs in my life. Uh, I mean, thousands of signs. You guys are doing a great job. I, I don't know. I, I think I've seen enough signs today that next November I'm voting for Peavine. I promise you <laughs> that it's going to happen. It is good to be back with you, Joel. As he mentioned, we're just some of the best friends. I, I can't t- say enough about your pastor. Every other time, or maybe more than that even, that I'm here and that I get to preach, your pastor is usually not here. He's on vacation or somewhere like that. So it's really great to see your pastor in church for a change. <laughs> and, uh, and, and good to see you in church as well. I want you to grab your Bibles uh, and turn to the book of Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, unless you're Italian, uh, Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. If you're here uh, watching us uh, from Dalton or from Rossville, we are glad that you're here. Uh, You are a welcome part of this gathering today. Thanks for attending. If you're watching us online, even if it's uh, a replay, we're we're glad that you're joining us today. I believe God's going to have a word for you indeed. So get ready for that. You know, years ago, um, circuses used to travel the country. They were a major form of entertainment back in the olden days. And, and they, would, they would draw large crowds under big tents, and they would, they would uh, wow the crowd with all kinds of sights and sounds. Almost every circus had somewhere in it a strongman routine. Some large, burly a uh, strong man would stand up there and he'd bend things and lift heavy things and break things and just wow the crowd with his brute strength. Well, one particular circus had one particular strong man that would always close his act in a peculiar way. He would take a raw lemon into his powerful hand and he would ram his finger through the end of that lemon and then with his powerful arm he would squeeze out all the juice in that lemon. Then he would issue a challenge to the crowd. If just one man or woman could squeeze just one more drop out of that lemon after it had been in his hand, they'd be given the grand prize of $500. Well, that's big money, man. That'd be like 5000 a day back in the old days. And man, he went all over the country, and he was so proud, nobody could ever do it. After he'd squeezed all the juice out of that lemon, nobody could squeeze one more drop. Until finally, he came to a small town in the Midwest. He got up on the stage and lifted things and bent things and broke things and wowed them with how strong he was. He did his act, closed it out the same way, grabbed that lemon. He rammed his finger in the end. He squeezed out all the juice and then said, $500. If anybody can squeeze just one drop, well, everybody's looking around wondering who's going to take the challenge. Well, the man that stepped forward was the opposite of anything anybody would expect to try. As a matter of fact, the laughing began in the back of the room as this 73-year-old, 125-pound, emaciated-looking little man came up to that stage, but he had a fire in his eye. As people were mocking and jeering, he went up on that stage and he grabbed that lemon and he hunkered down. 
Well, the more he hunkered down, the more they mocked. The more he hunkered down and squeezed, the more they laughed. The more he squeezed, the more they jeered and made fun. And then finally, all that mocking stopped. Because all of a sudden, a little crystal began to form on his wrist. And it grew in enough size and enough weight that gravity took over. And they all saw it. That droplet of lemon juice fell from his wrist to the ground. And that place erupted in applause. For the first time in that strong man's career, he was doing what he thought he'd never get to do. He was forking over $500 to this 73-pound emaciated-looking little man. He said, listen, I've been all over this country. I've seen the best try it. I've seen the biggest try it. I've seen the brawniest try it. Nobody has ever been able to do what we just saw you do. How in the world, looking at you, were you able to pull that off and get one drop out of that dry lemon? And with a twinkle in his eyes, he was counting his money. The little man said, it was easy. You see, I'm the treasurer of the First Baptist Church in town. I do it all the time. <laughs> you know, for some reason, as pastors preach through the Word of God, as they occasionally fall on some given Sunday on a passage that has to do with money and tithing and stewardship, a lot of those pastors feel like they're trying to extract drops from dry lemons. For some reason, there's an aversion among the people of God toward tithing. There's an aversion among the people of God toward giving. And I believe a lot of us don't understand that when I come today and I want to preach and look at a passage on tithing and giving, I'm not coming bringing a yoke or some kind of spiritual bondage to you. As a matter of fact, out of all the things that I could preach, I believe this is one of the most freedom-promising, freedom-delivering principles in the entire Word of God. And I believe that before you walk past the exit sign, you'll be able to see that for yourself today. Many of you know it. You've experienced it. But here's the passage we're going to look at. In the book of Malachi chapter 3, God basically gives His people a series of scathing rebukes before He shuts His mouth for 400 years. The next thing He would have to say would be in the Gospels when he brought Jesus into this world. And Malachi was one of those final chapters, as you know, in the Old Testament. And so he dealt with a lot of subjects. But he also dealt with money and stewardship, possessions. Let's begin in verse 8 where Malachi writes this as God's prophet. Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? in tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me. Even this whole nation, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Father God, I pray you would unfold your truth to our heart. May we be hearers, but not merely hearers, but doers also. Increase our faith this morning and bring us to obedience. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me give you some principles today direct from this passage about obedience and giving. Number one, first of all, write this down. Obedience and giving is a principle that is personal with God. It is a principle that is personal with God. Go to verse 8. Look what he says. Will a man rob the pastor? That's not what he says. Will a man rob the church? No, that's not what he says. Will a man rob the institution? Nope, nope. The denomination? Nope. Will a man rob 
God. Look at all the personal pronouns. Yet you robbed me. And what way have we robbed? You. God says you robbed me in tithes and in offerings. Listen to me. When a born-again child of God, a blood-bought saint of the living God, a redeemed person decides he ain't going to tithe and he ain't going to give. He's not robbing the pastor primarily. He's not robbing the church primarily. He is, she is robbing God. Let me tell you something, folks. I don't know about you, but I believe our God's a giver. Can I get a witness? Our God's a giver. For God so loved the world that he... Thank you, both of you. God bless you. And for God so loved the world that he... For God so loved the world that he... Nice tip. Leftovers, chump change. No, he gave the blood of his own son. Our God is a giver. He doesn't just give us Jesus. He's given us everything, as that song says that we sang this morning. The devil is a taker. Some of you has been stealing from you even lately. The thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. Hear me, as a blood-bought child of God, when I decide I'm not going to tithe, and I decide I'm not going to give, I'm categorizing myself with Satan, who's a taker more than God, who's a giver. God takes it personally. Listen, those who've received much are required much. Freely we've received, therefore freely give. God says, you're not tithing, you're not giving, you're robbing me. Now, what does he mean by tithe? Let's talk definitions. The word tithe is the Hebrew word for tenth. That's what it means, literally. It's a tenth of the increase. It's a tenth of the income. So if you earn $500, $50 of the $500 doesn't belong to you. It belongs to King Jesus. If you buy a house or a stock and you sell it later and you profit $20,000 more than you paid, then $2,000 of the twenty is not yours. It belongs to him. It's your tithe. Well, Brother Scott, we're not under the law anymore. 400 years before the law, Jacob tithed. 700 years before the law, Abraham tithed. The law merely in established the tithe, but in Matthew 23, Jesus endorsed the tithe. Why? Because the tithe is not tied to the law. It is tied to God's ownership of everything. In other words, we tithe 10%. Because God owns 100%. Hear about the church one time that needed more parking? I know you can relate. <laughs> uh, there's a church that needed more parking. They noticed that the store owner across the street, his shop was closed on Sunday. Hey, can we park our Baptist on your parking lot on Sunday? Since your shop is closed. He said, yes, under one condition. He said, they said, what condition? He said, you've got to understand that I'm going to do something unusual. They said, what is it? He said, one Sunday a year, I'm going to randomly rope it off. And they said, okay, so we can't park there one Sunday a year. He said, that's what I'm saying. And they said, you're going to announce it. He said, not going to announce it. They said, wait a minute. You're going to let us park there every Sunday? Yes. You're going to rope it off one Sunday a year? Correct. And you're not even going to tell us which Sunday? He said, correct. Why would you then randomly rope it off, being generous as you are, to let us park there every week? Why do you rope it off one Sunday a year at random? He said, because I don't want you Baptists to forget who owns the parking lot. Hey, listen, why does God rope off 10%? Because we tend to start thinking it's ours. And listen, God can remind us every week at a time that he owns it all. Listen, you're not giving God your money. You're giving back to God what he gave you when you decide you're going to tithe. It all belongs to him. Now, he's the source. He's the owner. You say, well, it's my money. I earned it. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, God gives us the power to get wealth. 
Do you understand that the only way you can get out of bed in the morning, have two feet hit the floor, lift up your body, walk out of that place with air in your lungs and another heartbeat in your chest is because God, by his grace, has given you another day of life. Even your very job did not come from you. It came from God because every good and perfect gift comes from the Father, James says. It all comes from him. He owns it all. Now, he also said, you've robbed me not just in tithes, but you've robbed me in offerings. What is that? The offering is above the tithe. The tithe is fixed. The offering is flexible. The tithe is in proportion to your income. The offering is in proportion to your generosity. The tithe is a debt we owe. The offering is a seed we sow. The tithe says, God, you own it all. The offering says, thank you for letting me enjoy it on the way. Now, in Malachi, God's ticked off. In Malachi, God is somewhat upset because, according to him, his language, he says, I have been robbed. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been, have you ever been robbed? You know, uh, back in the 80s, you, you could set your watch by what my family did with church on Sunday and Wednesday night. I mean, it was like clockwork, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. As a matter of fact, you could observe our family, and in a very short amount of time, you would know exactly when we were not going to be at home. That's what somebody did. They staked us out, they watched, and they knew that Wednesday night, we're at church an hour and a half every Wednesday night, and so they took their opportunity when we were at church one time, and they went while we were at church back to our house, and they robbed our house. We pulled up in the driveway that night, back into the carport. There was stuff strode all over the carport. The door was open. We walked in. There were drawers pulled out of their sockets. Our belongings were scattered everywhere. Much of it was missing. Our poodle was having a cardiac arrest. Somebody broken in. And robbed us. You know, I told that story for years. Man, when I was 12 years old, we got robbed. Somebody broke into our house, we got robbed. A law enforcement officer, a correctional officer, corrected me and said, Scott, quit telling that story like that. I said, why? He goes, "You're, you're not using the right terminology. I said, what do you mean? He said, you were not robbed. I said, I was not. He said, no. I said, what was I? He said, you were not robbed. You were burglarized. What's the difference? (laughs) Do you know there's a difference? There's a difference. Burglary is what happened to us. Burglary is when somebody sneaks around behind your back, know you're not there, they they know you're not watching, they hope they can get done with what they're doing before you get back. They take what belongs to you as if it belongs to them, and they hope they'll never get caught and that you don't find out until much later. That's burglary. Robbery is different. Robbery is when somebody is walking down the street minding their own business. And all of a sudden, a perpetrator walks up to them and sticks a gun or a knife in their ribs, looking them eyeball to eyeball, right there on the spot, demands that they take what belongs to them as if it belongs to the perpetrator, and they're going to use it on themselves, spin it on themselves. When God got down to this business of addressing they're not tithing, when God got down to this business of addressing not giving, he didn't say you burglarized me. He didn't say you sneak around behind my back hoping you don't get caught. I ain't seeing it. I'll find out later. It's like walking up to God, looking at him eyeball to eyeball, and saying, God, I'm going to take what I know belongs to you, and I'm going to spend it on myself. We're robbing God. When we don't tithe, 
and we don't give. You want to know why there's not more of an anointing on our churches in America? You want to know why there's not this, the visitation of the Spirit of God like we knew in days gone by? Because the latest reports are telling us this. 75% of evangelical Christians do not tithe. 75% are robbing God in tithes and offerings. 75%. These are the people, evangelicals, that say the Word of God, the Bible is the Word of God, and it says what He means and means what He says. We're the people that believe that. Southern Baptists, I heard a study years ago that said 85% of Southern Baptists are robbing God. Folks, I'm telling you, that is a shame. That is a crime. I know some of you have already been thinking this. I can't believe that as a guest preacher, you'd come in here out of all the things you could preach on and start preaching about money and tithing and offerings. Why are you doing that, Brother Scott? Listen, if 85% of Baptists were committing adultery, what do you think I'd be preaching on this morning? We're robbing God. We're not robbing the church. We're not robbing the pastor. We're robbing God when we don't tithe and give. And you don't have to guess about it either. You just have, listen, some of us Baptists are so tight, son, we squeak when we walk. I mean, really. If you ask them to give something, you hear them grunting to get the wallet out. <laughs> By the time they get the bill out, George Washington goes blind because it's been so long since he's seen the light. <laughs> well, Brother Scott, I can't afford to tithe. We're so broke, American Express called us up and told us to leave home without it. Can't afford to tithe, Scott. We're so poor. When the church has communion, our family sneaks back down there afterwards to get seconds. Scott, you don't understand. We are so poor. Our baloney has no first name. We can't afford to tithe. It's amazing. People say, can't afford to tithe, but you can afford to make your car payment. You can afford to make your rent payment. You can afford to put money in your 401k, and your RRA, and your SCP, and your COD, and your FBI. Amen. Here's the truth. When somebody says, I can't afford to tithe, here's what you're saying. Here's what you're saying. When you say, I can't afford to tithe, you're saying this. I'd rather steal from God his 10%. And trust in that 10% to meet my needs, then give God his 10% and trust in God to meet my needs. Folks, you know what this comes down to? Trust and obey. Trust and obey. Here's what I've learned the older I get. Trust and obey, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. But to trust and obey, I've learned that, listen, while money is a platform for advancing the kingdom, personally, as an individual, the older I get, the more I see that money primarily is a platform for me to learn better to trust God with everything. It's what it's for in your life. You say, yeah, but I, I just don't know if, if, we can, if we can afford that. I'm not sure that we can, we can, we can, we can do that. Well, you, you, you afford so much. You, you afford your, your, your taxes. You afford the, matter of fact, matter of fact, here's what God said in Malachi chapter one. Don't turn there. He just basically said this. Try giving your governor what you've been giving me. They'd been given leftover sheep and sick lambs and the worst of the flock and sacrifices just skating by, giving God leftovers. And God in Malachi one eight says, try giving that to your governor. See if he'll be that patient with you. See if he'll be as gracious to you as I've been. What's amazing is the average evangelical Christian gives 2% to the church, but gives 31% to the government. 
We praise God. We complain about the government. The government gets 31%. God gets two. No wonder there's not a greater power. No wonder there's not a greater anointing. No wonder there's not a greater visitation when so many of us don't trust God and are robbing God as a result. Obedience and giving is a principle that is personal with God. Number two, obedience and giving has a purpose that is practical for the church. Go to verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Food in my house, does God need to eat? I don't have time to go into the storehouse. It was just a part of the temple complex that was used for the storing of the grain, goods, and gold that were brought as tithes of God's people. Kept the food on the table for the full-time priests who ministered to the spiritual life of the people. It, It basically sustained the ministries coming out of the temple to the community that surrounded them even as a whole nation. And so basically, there was a purpose that was very practical in nature for what happened to the tithe as they gave it for the goods and the needs of the people. You say, Scott, what is the modern day storehouse? The modern day storehouse, as best I can tell from the New Testament, is the local church. The local church where your talent is employed. The local church where your fellowship is enjoyed. The local church where you're fed spiritually and have community, that local church is the storehouse. By the way, the storehouse is not the TV preacher. The storehouse is not the parachurch organization. There are many that I love. There are many that I like. Listen, the, the, the storehouse is not the visiting evangelist or visiting speaker where there's a love offering. The tithe, listen, I got some ideas for your offering. <laughs> but, but, but the tithe goes to the storehouse, P-Vine. The tithe goes to the local church. And he said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. That means everybody ought to tithe, and everybody ought to tithe the whole tithe. So if you earn $1,000 a week, and you give $90 as a tithe, you're still robbing God by $10. So bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Well, Brother Scott, I haven't been tithing, so can I just kind of work into it? Can I, can I just like start with 2% and work my way up to 10%? And I'm actually heard preachers preach that. Just start with 2%, work your way up to 10%. All right, let's apply that same logic to every other area of obedience. Let's say next Sunday, somebody gets saved here at Peavine. And they come down front and they talk to Joel and Joel leads them to Jesus, prays to receive Christ. And then they finish the prayer and Joel looks at him and he's like, man, praise God, you belong to Jesus now. Thank you so much for being obedient. Is there anything else I can pray for you about? And he looks back at Joel and says, well, brother Joel, I do have a problem. And he goes, all right, what's the problem? He said, well, for the last three years, I've been cheating on my wife with five other women. What do I do? And Joel just looks back at him and says, oh, don't worry about it. Just wean yourself off one a week till you get back faithful to your wife. You think I'd fly? (laughs) Listen, listen, listen. Your mama was right when she taught you this. Partial obedience is disobedience. You say, Scott, I'm not sure. I'm I'm not a real good steward with the rest of the 90%, and that may be your problem. That's why God gave us Dave Ramsey. Fix the 90%, but give God the tithe because it all belongs to you. You say, you say I can't do it. I, I can't do it. Listen, I can't afford. I can't afford a full 10%. You know why, you know why we say that? We say that because we keep paying God last. Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with all your possessions and the first fruits, the first fruits, the first fruits of your 
increase. That means off the top. Well, Brother Scott, there's a hundred pennies in a dollar. Two plus two still equals four. I know what's coming in, and I know what's going out, and I'm telling you, the math don't work. Folks, I'm going to tell you, Jesus doesn't care about the math. Jesus doesn't even need the math. Hey, listen, we serve the Jesus who can feed 5,000 with a boy's fish and chips and have 12 basketfuls left over. We serve the God who can feed Elijah on the backside of a desert with ravens. We serve the God who made the cruise of oil not run out. And if he can do that for them, he can do that for you in the year 2023. And God blessed America. Can I get an amen? Folks, I'm telling you, our God can do it. Our God can take care of us. Our God is waiting. Will you trust me? What would happen? At Peavine. Let's say we're average. You say, our church is going great. Yes, it is. But if you look down at brass tacks, could it be that you're average? 20% giving, 80% not. 20% tithing, 10% or better. 80% giving somewhere between 0 and 10 or something like that. What would happen at Peavine? If every single one of us hearing this message in the sound of my voice went home and wrote a tithe check for this last pay period and decided we would keep doing it, hell or high water, trusting God and giving him what belongs to him, just a tithe, they ain't talking about offering. What would happen based on the numbers that I've seen? What would happen if we're average, 20% not or 80% not, go home, make a decision, we're going to bring the tithe. How much would this, this church would be seeing something like $400,000 a week. Do you want to see Joel do a moonwalk? Unbelievable. Hey, look, you say, Scott, but listen, we don't need it because our church is already ahead of budget. Listen to me, that's our problem. We're always thinking about just getting by. Did Jesus have to have 12 basketfuls left over after all the people had been fed? No, he did not. He's trying to send a message to you. He's trying to send a message to me that when you think there is just enough, there's more, there's more, there's more. And if there's any word that hangs over Peavine, listen, congratulations on your growth. Praise God for how he's doing it. It's rippling through the state. People talk about you here all the time, but I want you to understand there's a word that hangs over this church and the mind and eye of God, and that word is more, amen, more ministry, more souls, more churches, more campuses, more staff, more missionaries. Amen. The question is, are we obeying God? If we just obey God at the minimum, we'd see so much more. He says, bring the whole tithe. Well, I ain't going to do it. Why not? I don't like the way they spend my money down there at Peavine. Well, guess what? It ain't your money down there. At Peavine. And let me tell you something. Listen to me very carefully. God never put you or me in a position to teach any finance team a lesson with his money. Listen, we're to obey and God will take care of the rest. God can handle your staff. God can handle your finance team. God can handle how they spend the money. Our job is to be faithful and trust God. Our prayers will have that much power as we pray about what the church is doing with the money if we just obey God and trust him. Amen. Listen, it includes a a, a purpose that is practical for the church. And one more, it includes a provision promised to you. Not only a principle that is personal with God, not only a purpose that is practical for the church, but it includes a provision that is promised to you. Verse 10 says, second part, he says, try me now on this. This is the only time in the Bible God ever looks at his people and says, try me. 
test me. Take a gamble with me. And it has to do with money and possessions. And see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that will not be room enough to receive it. Well, that's Old Testament. Well, in the New Testament, Jesus put it this way in Luke 6, 38. Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. Listen, folks, here's what you'll learn. God's saying, test me. Here's what you'll find out. You can't outgive God. Listen, I'm a tither, raised a tither. I was, I was born a tither. My mama taught us tithe then, but I tithe to the penny if I had to. I'm married a giver. My wife wants to give away everything. I mean, everything. And I remember we'd only been married like two weeks. We're on the road full time, didn't have a lot of money. Scarlett comes in one day, announces, God told me to give away a third of my wardrobe. I said, a third of your wardrobe? She said, a third. There are people that need the stuff more than I do. I got more than I need. I said, honey, we just got married. I was counting on some of that stuff lasted about 10 years. We're in ministry. She said, just trust me. She gave away about a third of wardrobe. It wasn't two weeks later. We were at First Baptist Church of Lexington, Tennessee in Revival. It was a Monday or Tuesday afternoon or morning rather. And I heard a knock on the door. I go to the door. It's the youth pastor's wife. Is Scarlett there? I said, yeah, right here. We're in the hotel room. I Brought Scarlett to the door. She, she said, Scarlett, the Lord, I was having a quiet time this morning, and the Lord spoke to my heart, and he told me to take you shopping today and buy you two new outfits of clothes, your choice. It's almost like she'd give away and get back, give away, get back. And sometimes it was like God trying to teach me a lesson watching her. I remember in, 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 in the early 2000s, she went through this phase of gift baskets. You know how women, it used to be a big fad to give away gift baskets. I had a gift basket in the hotel when I got there last night. You know what I'm talking about? Baskets, cellophane, a lot of smelly, greasy stuff in there women like. Give away gifts. And so we go to do a revival in, in one place, and she'd give a gift basket to the pastor's wife and a gift, gift basket to the deacon's wife. And then we go to another place, and she, well, uh, it's funny. She'd give away a basket over here. We might give, she might give away two baskets in Kentucky. We'd drive three states away, pull up at a parking lot in a church in Georgia. There'd be five women in the parking lot. Each of them have a basket for my wife. <laughs> It got ridiculous. She'd give away, get three back. Give one away, get three back. Next thing you know, I couldn't hardly drive the motor home, man. I had baskets all crammed in behind me. <laughs> Scarlett's like, honey, what are we going to do with all these baskets? I said, well, we ain't going to give them away. <laughs> hey, listen, man, you can't outgive God. He's the greatest giver ever was, greatest giver ever will be. And the first thing you learn when you give is you can't outgive the giver. This is what he said. He said, I'll open the windows of heaven for you and pour out for you such blessing that will not even be enough room to receive it. Now, why would God give so much to somebody knowing they ain't even got a place to put it? Here's why. Because he knows he's given to givers. And anything he gives, they're going to give anyway. In other words, God's saying, I don't bless sponges, I bless funnels. Don't be a reservoir, be a channel. You say, Scott, if I give like that, I'll lose. No, you will not. Friend, last time I checked, when you send water through a funnel, that funnel gets soaking wet its own self. The fact is, God sends to you so he can send to, through you. You preaching that, name it, claim it. You give in order to get. No, nope, no. Nope. Name it, claim it. Prosperity gospel is that. 
You give in order to receive. Give so you can get. Biblical theology around giving is you give in order to get. To get to give. To get. To give. To get. To get to give. Y'all tracking? To get to give, to get to give, to give to get, to give, to get, to give. To get to give. Amen. And that's the kind of blessed I want to be. Friend, I'm telling you, I don't know how much money's gone through my hands in our ministry. I don't know how much has gone through those around me that I see that are givers. It's amazing to watch how God does it, but he pulls it off every time. I'm telling you, God blesses funnels, not sponges. You won't lose. You'll gain. And you'll gain the blessing. I've seen so many learn this lesson, and it's been wonderful to see. I was preaching a revival at a church just outside Athens, Georgia. After church, I was hanging out with a pastor. His phone rings. He says, he's right here, and hands me the phone. On the other end is the voice of a young man that was in church that night. He and his wife were sitting in a pew, brand new Christians. He says, Scott, God put us under conviction tonight. We need to begin tithing. So we got home. Guess what happened? We sat down and wrote out our tithe, and we decided we'd mail it so we wouldn't spend the money before Sunday. We're going to mail it to the church. He goes, as my wife was licking and stamping the envelope... I checked my voicemail. A voicemail had come into my phone right at the end of church, right after we made that decision. He said, this is what the voicemail said. Hey, Jeff, I changed my mind about that horse you've been trying to sell. I decided I will buy it. I'll be at your house in the morning with a check for $1,200. I remember a retired pastor's wife and retired pastor. They had a restaurant in Sweetwater. I was preaching revival there in Sweetwater, Tennessee. They had retired from the ministry, now trying to sell a restaurant. It was just taking too much out of them. Didn't have a lot of money. She said, we had gotten away from tithing. She says, but Scott, I decided during revival, I was going to start tithing. I was going to start giving God what's his. And I wrote the check. She said, I'm old school. I don't do the online stuff. I just do it all in my register. She said, I knew if this check went through before I get paid again, she said, it would overdraw my account by $450. She said, but you know what? I got my bank statement. I reconciled my statement to my check ledger, and I found that I had been in error in my favor by $450. Reminds me of another story. I was in Norfolk, Virginia, preaching revival. On Sunday night, I preached on stewardship, honoring God with all that he puts in your care, a man came to the altar and committed to begin tithing. That Wednesday night, he came into church on the last night of the revival meeting. And he said, Scott, the most amazing thing happened today. I said, what happened? He said, my boss called me in his office and he gave me a 10% raise today out of the blue. I said, man, that's amazing. He said, what's amazing is my raise covers my tithe. <laughs> Sometimes it's not even money. I remember a church pastor called me where I'd preach revival. He said, Scott, you remember preaching on stewardship at our meeting? I said, yes. He said, it hit home, but not in the area of money for one couple. I said, what do you mean? He said, there's a young couple had been been married for a number of years and they could not get pregnant. They could not conceive. That week of revival, they began to tithe. And within two months, she was pregnant with their first child. They went from barrenness to blessing and they attribute it to their obedience in the tithe. Folks, my Bible says God honors those who honor him. And those who despise him, he lightly esteems. I don't know about you. I want to stay on God's blessing side. I want to know that he's, I'm somebody he can trust with what's given him. Folks, it reminds me 
of that story where a pastor said, I want everybody to stand for the offering, and they did. And then the pastor said, I want you to reach up over and take out your neighbor's wallet. <laughs> and then he said, now open it up and give like you always wanted to. <laughs> I'm telling you, you can give like that. You know why? Because it ain't your wallet. It's God's wallet. It's God's bank account. Yes, you have to be led by the Lord. Yes, there will be times of financial reverse and even sometimes for some of us financial devastation because not all the lessons rise and fall necessarily on what happens with money in our life. But I do know this, there is a lesson we can learn and God will often use that area of obedience and trust and faith to teach us a very important lesson and it's a simple yes to God on a basic principle and God does amazing things in your life and mine to reinforce the truth of his word and his love for us. You cannot outgive God. Amen. Let's all stand all over the room. Let's bow our heads together. What's the Thank line? you, Scott, for that incredible message. And uh, really for us as believers, um, giving, tithing is a matter of personal obedience. It is a part of your spiritual growth as a follower of Jesus. And, um, and hey, you may be listening this morning, you're like, I don't even have a relationship with Jesus. That begins with you understanding that you're a sinner and that your sin offends God. It has separated you from God. You've got to be willing to admit that. You've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day to pay the penalty for my sin and for your sin. And then you have to confess him as your personal Lord and Savior. And if today you need to do that, in the quietness of this moment, tell God this, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sin. Well, right now, I ask you to come into my heart, take away my sin and be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, we want to celebrate with you and we want to help you take next steps. So um, if you would, click on the link we've just dropped in the chat box. It says, I commit my life to Christ and I'm going to reach out to you this week and help you take next steps on your faith journey with Jesus. It's been great to worship together this morning. Uh, these are special times for us. God bless you. Can't wait to see you next week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.